It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on your path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Revenue North Star, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenues, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales customized to your company environment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of The Revenue Maze. I have so much fun on these shows, and I am so excited for this guest today because he's just, he cracks me up. He's so fun. He is a commercial animal. Now, when we're going to talk about a commercial animal, he has worked through his 20 plus years with Philip Morris. Yes, you've, you know that one, but wait for it. Guinness Diageo. That's another one. Scottish and Newcastle, and last, Heineken, much other companies as well. But those are notable at this point in the game. And when he's not a commercial animal, he's an animal out on skiing and traveling. So he's like the man's man. I mean, it's like the most interesting man in the world, right? And I say that because he's really actually humble and he is probably dying in issues right now because I kind of take that <laughs> to have some fun. Anyways, I really think it's exciting what he's doing. He's in predictive, um, highly knowledgeable about AI and predictive analytics. And he will say, maybe that's not so fun for everybody, but for me, it's like music. So I love that. He helps FMCG companies improve their commercial planning. And he is a his company is a finalist in the Grocer Gold Awards 2022 for Tech Initiative of the Year. He is CEO of Action Insight Management. Welcome, Graeme Scott Dodd. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, I can live up to all of that uh, that you've just given me as an intro. But, uh, thank you for inviting me. Okay, so if anybody doesn't know the reservation of Scotsman, <laughs> you just witnessed it. So anyways, I love it. And of course, I, you know, my USA kind of behavior. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right, Graham, but we always we want to hear about all these wonderful things that you're doing, especially in the analytics world, um, because it's helping so many people many organizations. I wouldn't say people, but we always answer one question for the audience. What is one thing that you can tell the audience that will help them get out of the revenue maze? I always struggle with getting down to one thing. Um, <laughs> you know, a list of things. So um, the best I can think of is to know what you're chasing. So what I mean by that is, you know, you're, the title of this is, you know, the revenue maze. But is it revenue you're chasing? Is it volume? Is it a lot of what I say is going to hop back to consumer goods, FMCG, where we're, we're shifting product, a number of products. But a lot of these things hopefully will transfer into other businesses. But yeah. So what are you chasing? Um, is it uh, is it volume? Is it um, uh, revenue? Um, but the key thing most businesses are now moving to is it's profit because without the profit you can't survive but all the other things lead into that profit 
So, I mean, I, I'm intrigued all, always when I go to new clients, what are you looking for? And it, it seems to throw them because everybody around the room has actually a different, different message. Usually the finance guy can you know, pretty quickly go, well, we need profit. Whereas the sales guy is looking for volume. or So you've got different views around the table. And then we've got to try and pull that together to show them, well, how does each lever move down towards the profit? So uh, that was a long answer to, to a short question. Well, no, it, it wasn't because I think that that brings up an excellent topic. And I and the audience wants to hear, you know, some good ideas on how to get to what they're chasing for the moment, because it also will depend a bit on their stage in their cycle of their business, right? If they're an early stage, late stage, what what are they trying to accomplish? And I, I've said this before because I use this all the time, and people probably are sick of hearing it, but it's it's the the typical Allison in Wonderland thing. If you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? So how do you get out of the, you've got to figure out how to, to chase, what do you need to chase at that moment? So give us some pointers on how, how you've kind of worked that through with maybe some of your clients and how that has helped. Uh, yeah. This, um, <laughs> just, <laughs> just in three minutes, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best. No, um, I'm kidding. <laughs> So you need to understand what are the drivers of your business. Sure. Um, in consumer goods, there's four main ones that a lot of companies or a lot of research companies can can give you. Um, Kantar is one of the companies that can sell you this data. And it's penetration, so how many people are buying. It's frequency, how often are they buying. It's uh, weight of purchase, so how much are they buying each time and what are they spending on each time. So with those four levers, you can work out uh, your total volume maybe going through the roof, but you find out that actually you've lost a lot of shoppers, but all you've got is the really heavy users. And mm. so how do you get the others back? So just by those four and trending it over time, you get a, a message of um, it, everything may be going well. I've not really seen it when all four are going in the right direction, but um, at least by looking at those, you can work out, okay, versus last year, which one's gone down? Which ones have gone up? Which is driving my business? And therefore, what tactics do I need to put into place to hopefully hold the good ones, but improve the ones that have slipped? They look at the top line figures, you know, we're selling more. Well, a lot of companies, and now I'm going to go back to the list that I started with, but a lot of the, the drivers that we find is um, your distribution may have gone up or down. So how many stores you're in, um, but you think you know your, your volume's gone up 10%, so great. But if your distribution's gone up 20%, you're actually selling less per store or less per percentage distribution, and therefore your rate of sale is actually going down. So what's wrong with your brand? Why aren't people buying it? And so just looking at the top line is very, very dangerous, um, certainly if you're planning for the future. So... Well, and, and it's, it's really sage words because I, and again, I'm going to come back and I'm not teasing anymore. I'm not, you know, honestly, knowing that information, it does translate to almost any industry in the world because the reality is, and we, you and I have had conversations even about price elasticity, you know, all the things that can maybe really change that bottom line, but again, what they're looking for, you know, maybe they're, 
maybe they're looking for an exit strategy. So yeah, you look at the top line, you try to get as many clients as you, you know, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're really, most businesses are looking to make sure that they're profitable. I mean, that that's, I mean, you're in business to be profitable, right? So if you're eroding margins, just because you, you know, you can say, I'll sell something for a hundred thousand dollars and that hundred thousand dollars costs you literally up to the penny of the hundred thousand dollars, you're not profitable. Right. So that that's the, that's the dumb kind of thought process of top line only. But you bring, you bring a good point. Um, when I started, well, when I jumped ship from Heineken and, and started my own consultancy, one of the clients, um, I'd gone in, done all the crunching, knew, you know, and showed them how to make the most profit. You know, here's the pricing. You know, it was a pretty good presentation as far as I was concerned. Mm -hmm. But right the way to the end, and the uh, the CEO turned around and said, okay, but we're not looking for profit. And, nobody <laughs> told yeah. what, and I hadn't thought to ask, so it was a naive thought. Um, but they were, um, they were VC back, and they were trying to grow. And to keep investment coming in, they needed to show that their uh, category growth was faster than category. So they were stealing more and they were growing within the category. That was, that was their target. Mm -hmm. Whether they made any money, wanted to make money, that'll come eventually mm -hmm. once the investors keep on investing. So that was a huge learning for me that I'd done quite a bit of work uh, and then shown them something that actually they weren't interested in. So I went back <laughs> with it. Well, all the all the information was in there, but I had to bring it back out to show them yeah, how to target a different player, how to become number two rather than number three. Um, and so, yeah, it, understand. Well, I, I'm, I suppose I'm I'm using my own uh, advice there that know what you're trying to drive for. <laughs> exactly. I, I drove for the wrong thing. So. Well, we've all we've all been there. I mean, there's famous case studies for Silicon Valley that talks about buying business. You're literally your goal is not profitability right at that point. It's brand recognition, whatever, or getting customers in the door. And then eventually, and it is a strategy, but in general, like I said, unless they're trying to sell off or they're doing something like that, most companies would like to be profitable. And so as we look at that, there's a there's a number of variables that it impact that and modeling, a lot of modeling. So you get a lot of people, well, I've got a gut sense, right? But what is that gut sense really telling you if the numbers tell you a completely different story? And I talked about a CFO that made literally music with numbers. He was like a maestro with numbers. It told an fact-driven story that sometimes people will say, well, in communication, it's words, 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 but numbers can communicate very concisely. So I love hearing your analytics story. So I love how you're taking those numbers and driving a story that helps these companies. Tell us a little bit more about that. There's some fun stuff with the Scottish government. There's, you know, tell us a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we go way back. Um, when I was at Diageo, there was a big finance guy uh, called Dom Desange, who's now in the food industry. And he went my up that we had a, a, a relativity tool. So you could look at your own product versus another of your own product and see how much was stolen. So, you know, if you did a price deal on one, what comes to the other? 
and that went my appetite. I've always liked numbers. So, you know, I'd moved from selling, and I never liked asking a question unless I already knew the answer to it in selling. So um, moving into, I think it was category management, right, the early stages, um, and then finding this tool that whet my appetite on you can get something out of the numbers. So then moving on to the, uh, the beer company, it was slightly like moving back five to 10 years um, in, in thinking and data availability. So you were just saying about uh, people having an opinion. Every man and his dog had an opinion based yeah. on your feeling. And you know, it always started with, I think, and there was no backup or no proof. Or, um, and everybody around the table trying to plan was 15 different plans. So part of my role there became tell them what they need to do. And that's where this germ of, okay, let, let's get the big, I actually went to the, one of the big data houses who also do consulting. Uh, I won't embarrass them by saying who they are. <laughs> Everybody in FNCG will know them. And, uh, and I said, look, I, I need, I was spending half a million a year. This is 25 years ago. Yeah. I was spending half a million uh, pounds on data, just raw data, which shows you how much we were buying. And we were spending about 100 million a year as a business on pricing promotions, trade support. Didn't really know what, well, we didn't know what we were getting back for it. We just knew we had to do it. Yeah. And so, and so I went to them and said, look, tell me all about the, you know, uh, what I should tell these guys. What's the elasticity? And I didn't really know what elasticity was at that stage. And, <laughs> and well, apparently neither did they. But anyway, um, <laughs> they went off, did lots of crunching. I still remember I spent £105,000 on one report, 82 pages long, and it only had two numbers in it that could tell me what to give to the guys. Oh, that went, that went in a draw very quickly. But the, the one number that they came back with was, well, beer is, has an elasticity of minus 2.6. So, <laughs> okay, in my naivety, I just, fine, now I've got a number. So that means for every 1% of price you move one way or the other, the volume will move 2.6 in the opposite direction. That's why the <laughs> so I thought, okay, the problem is that makes it linear, but that's a straight line. So if you take yeah. 10% off and get 10% extra back, according to them, if you take 20%, you'll get 20%. You don't. It's, mm -hmm. it's a curve and it's, it's an curve. exponential curve. So it's a lot more difficult to actually work out, which is probably why they didn't do it. <laughs> and um, so I, in my naivety, used that figure and then realized very, very occasionally we were correct. Most of the time we were wrong because we were at the wrong point of the curve. So from there, wet my appetite. Uh, tell me when I bore you on this, by the way, because I can. Um, <laughs> You're not so, boring me. I'm actually seeing numbers in my head as you tell the story <laughs> because I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Because for how much volume, uh, yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at that stage, I thought, I've just spent a lot of money. I've hidden that because I didn't want anybody to know how much I've spent and got very little back. I thought, right, we can do better. And yeah. that's when I started getting into it. Using my knowledge from Diageo, I actually went out to, uh, I think it was wholesalers to begin with, not even the retailers, got some different data um, and started crunching them myself, trial and error, and then started working out the elasticity curves. And that's where it all started from. I took that to the MD at the time, who luckily for me, got it, understood yeah. it, and just thought, that makes sense. Two weeks later, I was running a department called market modeling before anybody even knew what that was. Yeah. And, 
and then I had a load of statisticians, some very, very bright people working uh, for me. Um, and then it took about 14 months of going down rabbit holes and thinking, yep, we've got it. No, we haven't. Um, <laughs> because it is very difficult. Um, and there's so many moving parts. That's why just when you think you've got it, no. Um, so anyway, did manage to crack the key part of it. Um, and then I moved on to other things. But uh, the analysis there, um, a few learnings that um, measure or measure what you can manage or what you can control. There was a time that I, I employed somebody purely just for, um, for a week. To, we got access to a very clever tool from one of the biggest retailers. And all it did was, um, well, it, it gave us a lot of information of what happens when something moves. And it cost 20000 just to have access for the week. It was hugely expensive. So I employed somebody just to download things for a week and not analyze anything, just download it. And then we realized from that that we had so much information that so much of it was actually nice to know. But we couldn't actually use any of it. We couldn't replicate any of it again. Uh -huh. uh, so, yeah. so again, I'd spent. This is sounding like terrible, but I'd spent quite a bit of money, and we <laughs> we did get some good stuff out of it. But um, and probably about the same time, there was a, a story actually which came over from the US. Now, uh, whether it originated, um, the story was that it came from analysts and Hauser Bush, and that they had worked out that if you what was it. Um, blokes, men, will get sent out to buy nappies at five o'clock on a Friday night because we've run out and you know, the, the, uh, the lady of the house will say, yeah, you've got to go. So if you put beer next to nappies at five o'clock on a Friday night, <laughs> well, then you sell more because the men have been sent out. And that story went around the industry and everybody's, oh, very interesting, very interesting. <laughs> and then you start realizing, well, that's, that is, that's great to know, but we can't do anything about that. We can't afford to put somebody into every store, you know, half past four on a Friday afternoon just to reposition the beer. So that's <laughs> when you start realizing there's need to know and want to know. And yeah. most of us get caught up in the want to know because, oh, that'll be interesting. But yeah. actually, it's the need to know. So um, there's a level that you can go down to. You go too far and you, if you can't control it or do something about it, not one of your levers to sell with the buyer, you've probably gone too far. Um, yeah. So that, that was yeah. one of our key learnings in that, well, and certainly in that 14 months was, you know, we really went too far and analyzed everything and then realized <laughs> that we've probably spent six months getting to the nit grit of something we can't use. Yeah, uh, so you find you find yourself sometimes when you're dealing in in some of that, you find yourself going, wow, that's cool. Wow, that's cool. Wow, that's cool. And then you turn around and go, yeah, but that was a total waste of time. Why am I doing it? <laughs> Why am I thinking? Am I just like in, I, I don't know, maybe in the UK they have Jeopardy as well, but you know, all the factoid stuff that goes on, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's so nice that they know all that, but <laughs> you spent all your time trying to figure out facts and memorize facts and so I kind of, I kind of say it's almost like when you're, when you're looking at what to capture, you know, you're saying I got to figure out, first of all, companies need to know where, where they're going. Cause that's kind of the starting point. Where are you going? 
And what are the drivers that are going to really help you figure out that that's you're winning, you're losing, whatever you're doing and, and look at those things. But on top of that, um, you know, we were talking about just on another podcast, you know, obviously simplifying, you know, simplifying it because it, it, a lot of times we're like, well, what if, what if you get in these, what if scenarios and you spend months doing what if, right? (laughs) Months or years, sometimes what if, before you ever even move on anything. And as I said, um, pretty much everything we we do now is based on what are the levers that a sales guy can use with an account. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, what can they influence and what can they actually negotiate on? So, in the UK, I'm, I'm not sure in the US, but in the UK, the actual retail price is the retailer's uh, prerogative mm-hmm. uh, by law. So, yeah, as a supplier, we could never dictate what that is. However, we could influence them by saying, if you do this, this might happen, which is pretty much where you know, my, my business is, uh, is anchored on. But all the other levers, and, and this is where we get the difference from you know, the revenue down to the, the profit, mm-hmm. um, certainly in, in consumer goods, it's what are you selling, what price are you selling at, to the retailer? Uh, so how much money are you making and how much are they making? And if you do a promotion, who's paying for that? And whose margin yeah. is that coming out of? And so we find a lot of the time that uh, yeah, a product may be price elastic, which means you know you drop the price and you will sell more and there's more total profit comes in. Great. But if you've given away all of your margin because you're paying for all of that promotion, you may sell a lot, but your profit may go down. And the retailer is laughing because they're not having to pay anything and they're getting more sales. So... For us, a key part is working out, okay, there's the total volume, uh, the total profit or profit pool, but also how do you split that down? Who's paying what? Um, and that's when the, the kind of finance side um, comes into it. It's basically putting the predicted volume onto an existing P&L. And mm-hmm. you know, so you know what you're paying for things. And if the volume is predicted and is accurate, then pretty much you know what your costs are. The, uh, the, we do find at times that um, the old way for, for sales, and if there's salespeople watching, they're going to hate me saying this, but um, <laughs> certainly in my experience, uh, we had some salespeople that wanted to do a promotion with their, their customer because the yeah. customer wants yeah. it. So you want to keep the customer happy. Yeah. And so they would, they would do a normal, you know, here's the plan and it does a quick cash up and think that loses us money or it doesn't make enough. So all they would do is just change the volume they were going to sell. So, you know, this activity is going to sell 10,000 units. doesn't make any. If I sell 20,000, oh, it makes money. But they haven't changed anything to sell that 20,000 more. Yeah. So, so unfortunately for some salespeople, what we do now, because it's quite smart, uh, quite smart predictions, is uh, takes away that guesswork. Um, but also they've got to, if they want to put a different number in, then, yeah, if they can justify it, great. Um, yeah. Uh, well, and any company, any anybody on the listening that is managing any kind of sales sales team at all, they run into that. You know, the first thing the salesman comes back and says is, "The customer wants a discount. How much can I give them?" And you've just answered the question, right? <laughs> and it's it's funny because sometimes people, well, you're a sales manager. I'm like, 
not really, because at the end of the day, I do the exact same thing. It's like, well, let's look at the modeling and let's see if there's any room. And if there isn't, you know, we, we look at all, all facets of what that's going to do to the profitability, not just the top line, but the profitability of it. And, and sometimes we, you and I've talked about this, we do it strategically, right? There's times when you're trying to get a big client on. So you're willing to pay for that client because that's what you're doing in profits. You're paying for it in profits, right? And then eventually have a plan of attack to get out of that mess. But what I like about what you just said is you've got the model that also says, well, this is how much we need to do to make up for that buying that customer or discounting or however you want to, however you want to verbalize that, right? And at the end of the day, it's kind of, we talked about you and tribal knowledge. Like some of this was all locked in your head and you had to be the one who went through and consulted the entire thing and that you became the bottleneck of, of the system because it would take time for you to do this and you're creating a proven and a repeatable kind of technology that has kind of given that brain dumper, that tribal knowledge to create yeah. something that makes it easier. Yeah, I'd forgotten I told you that I love it. Um, <laughs> that, that's back to, well, we're working with, uh, as a consultancy, we've been going for about nine years, uh, going into clients and all, we've never gone out looking for business. The, the network has always come because you know, we, we get pretty good results. Yeah. And um, as you said, uh, well, I was working with the Scottish government, uh, uh, helping us grow in certain areas. Uh, and then they turned around at one point and said, um, I, which I probably knew that in a way, but I was turning business away because you know, I was the, the the front guy. And there's only so many hours in the day. And so, and that was a that was a great situation to be in to a certain degree. But as the commercial animal, I wanted to make more. So, <laughs> so they turned around and said, look, you are the bottleneck, um, which I had to listen to. And they said, you know, the, the way through this is obviously turn everything you're doing into software and then it can be scaled up etc um and uh, i mean it makes absolute sense so um that was probably about three years ago we started doing that and so that's when i learned to sit in darkened rooms with uh, some very clever software engineers but trying to get all of my thinking and the modeling tools that i had uh, etc and get all that into a usable format in the right order doing the right thing and all of the binary um, decisions that when you're planning, well, do we want to do this or that? So all of the thought process, uh, which was way more difficult than I, uh, I anticipated to begin with, but um, <laughs> I mean, you know, pulled away from uh, you know, dealing with clients for a, for a while so we could sit in these darkened cupboards and, and write code, uh, which I'm not a coder, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I pretend to be one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I keep going. <laughs> Uh, my BS isn't that strong, so. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we uh, we then came out the other end. Uh, you know, a few tweaks and everything. I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I'm never happy about these kind of things because there's always more we can do. Uh, but we came out with some, some great tools that are really accurate on how to predict the future based on what's gone on. Uh, and yeah, we we found different things that you know markets do move on, so. You know, we, we had to, we built it and then we actually um, created it four times. So we now do uh, 
all our modeling, when you put the data in, it will then look at 13 weeks, 26 weeks, 52 weeks, and 104 weeks. So it does it four times to work out what is the strongest model so that we know that the, the best advice is going to be the one that comes out. Not the one with the highest uplift, but the one with the strongest relationship. And so all the way through this, because um, as, as a user, anything that gets put in front of me, I want to know, how much can I trust this? Yeah, yes. I, and if I don't know how to do something, I really know. I really need to know you know, how much I can trust. So we build that into all the models so you know exactly per SKU, stock keeping unit, uh, per product, per portfolio, per brand, how much can you tr truly trust what you're seeing on the front here. Um, and that helps when you know, a client's seeing it. Not only they they may know, you know, we look at history and we say, well, it should do this. They say, uh, well, actually, it did do that. So they can do <laughs> Uh, but we built that into into the system, so we're now, if the data's good, we're usually within one to two percent uh, error across a year, uh, which are predictions. Yeah, we're we're pretty happy with that one. Yeah, no, that's a great one. I, um, so you brought up some good points, trusting or credibility of what what the output is, right? Um, we run oh. into that all the time. So I actually, yesterday I was working with um, a company and we're needing to obviously get some data on sales teams and they don't have a, ba a baseline yet, you know, and there's always that cart before the horse kind of thing is, well, what metric do we, you know, it, if we need to see how much effort it's going to take, what kind of teams do you build, all of that kind of stuff and modeling out five years. Cause like you and I talked about, we, you know, I, as a CRO, I look five years out and walk backwards. Right. And sometimes it's not terribly accurate. You know, you do a Tam Sam sum and you hope you're pretty close, you know, with, especially with either early stage or resurrections. And a lot of those companies, um, either have very bad data if they're a resurrection, you know, they just don't even know why their product has gone stale or, um, or they're eroding margin faster than they know what, what's going on, you know, um, because they really weren't tracking it properly. And then you have the early stagers that have really, they're just relying on best practices in, in their, whatever their category is or their industry. Right. So when, um, when you're talking about trusting that, that part of it is is sort of kind of like saying, this is the best practice over 25 years, so I can get within one to 2% margin of error. That is in incredible, right? Because there is a lot of what I we call swagging out there, which is uh, uh, a big guess. I won't go into the acronym, but it's a big guess, right? <laughs> and you've kind of sort of solved a bit of that. And that's what's really cool. Well, uh, I think right at the beginning, I, I like numbers, but I like <laughs> the answers. So for me, going into a negotiation and knowing, well, if we do this, you'll do that. And then somebody says, well, it's going to cost you 10000 to do that. You know whether it's worth 10000 and Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the earliest clients that we had um, before we built it into software, I had it, had it in uh, certain parts of it in different Excel formats. Uh, and again, I may have told you that 
you know, that grew arms and legs and became so big. You couldn't even email it. It was so big. Um, mm -hmm. But some of the learnings then were um, basically un understanding um, what would happen if you did X, Y, and Z. And uh, there was a, I'm trying to think, the, I'm not going to name the retailer, but the retailer uh, that this company was dealing with, um, I told you we keep all our clients confidential. So oh, you need to, to keep them confidential. It. We'll guess. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so anyway, this client um, was having a negotiation with one of the retailers and trying to do a promote. And the retailer just said, oh, okay, that's fine. That's uh, pay, pay to play. So if you want to do the promotion, it'll cost you £7,000 just to do it for that week. And so we put it straight into the, uh, the black box. And it came up that the only benefit that we were going to get was £2,000. And so they went straight back. In fact, they turned the uh, the PC round in the meeting and said, it's only worth 2000 And the retailer went, okay, 2000 will do, because it was in the black box. <laughs> and so they saved, they saved 5000 just by being able to push back. Whereas before that, it's 7000 Okay, it's 7000 so instantly by having it in numbers, something a bit cleverer than the, uh, the retail buyer's um, figures that he's been given that he has to charge, she has to charge, um, yeah, having something in a black box can actually be a really good negotiation tool. It really would. You know, sometimes in the, in the world you're in consulting, we're fractional CROs, um, and Sometimes in that world, I will be working with downstream companies and they will say, well, I can't afford it. And that kind of answer would say, you can't afford not to do it, right? Because everybody's looking for that return, whatever that return is going to be. And a dollar or a pound is too much if you don't have it, right? But what is that? what if that pound generates... X because you're doing, you're going to go borrow that pound to get it done. Right. And that's kind of how, you know, how that would help so much in decision-making trees too. Right. Because you're going, should we go this direction or should we go this direction? You have it immediately. Once we pull the crunching, then every product, it, it comes straight up with a, a profit curve and you see where the optimum is. But if your pricing, if your optimum price for total profit pool is at a higher price than your average at the moment, you're already promoting too much. You yeah. shouldn't be promoting as much because promoting will be spent, will be costing you money. Mm -hmm. If the if the peak of the profit curve is well, on our thing to the right, which means lower price, then yeah, you can still promote harder and make more money. And then, as I said before, who's paying for that gives you the uh, uh, the actual margins, and you know, can you make more money? Um, there was another point that you made there, and I've I've, I've lost it. Lost so, it. Well, when I look it. at some of your, I mean, you're in the com consumer goods, right? And when I look at some of the implications that you're talking about, there's tons of marketers, there's tons of decisions that need to be made. That the implications are really far-reaching. They're not to me. It's not just in that arena that this could help you know, for sure. There's decisions I, I, I have to remodel every single time to go, Hmm. Yeah. And how many hours does that take me to remodel every single time to try to make a decision? And you've got it just kind of right there. Yeah. Um, sort of. <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, now. Yeah. Um, 
if I go back to my um, the beer days, and that's when we started, you know, building all of these kind of the the thoughts and being building it together. Um, it was probably taking what it was probably taking two to three months of data crunching, our you know Mondays data crunching uh, to get to the result that we'd probably get in about two minutes now. So because yeah, everything's built in, so it does it. Uh, and that's you know that's using the speed of Microsoft Azure, uh, and still and it still takes two minutes. So there's over two point four million calculations done on each uh, each lot, which is why it took so long to do it manually. Yeah. Um, but the the other point I was going to go back to it did come back to me was you mentioned about trust, and yes. for us, um, I mean. You talk about trust in. Um, I think we talked before. I'm, I'm going to pick on. What did I pick on? Hairdressers. I think no photographers. So local local photographers, okay. of which I, I know nothing about. So if there's a local, <laughs> so if it's I, if I it's you're playing one on TV right now. So here we go. <laughs> I didn't pick hairdressers. Um, and the, the trust comes from, um, or in our world, it's how do people value your product, your service. And part of that is trust in the product or the service. And that builds a, we term it as the, the shopper equity. It's, you know, how, um, if you can imagine, and I'm going to take it back away from, uh, well, actually, no, let's stay with the photographer. So local photographer, and I have no idea what they charge, but let's say that uh, one's got a very good reputation and they charge $500 to do whatever uh, the photography is. And you've got another one that is just as good, but nobody's heard of. And they try charging 500, but because they haven't got that perceived value in the shopper's mind, well, I know about the number A, but I don't know about B. Uh, so I'll not take the risk on that. And there'll be a time when, and this is um, yeah, a, a, a way that you can bring the prices down if it's a price thing, or you can build your brand equity up. And that's what all brands do. You know, they build the brand equity and then they find, you know, what pricing can you get for it off promotion? And then what do you, you know, are you elastic and what could you go down to to make the most money? Yeah. But on, you know, on the hairdressers, the, you know, you're, you're pulling different levers. And sorry, I've gone from photographer to hairdresser. Yeah, you, yeah but hey, I was just going with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just point out my own fault. So. <laughs> So yeah, in a, in a more local business, and understanding again, we're back to what are those levers? What's driving my business, or what's stopping my business? As with mine, you know, I was a bottleneck that was holding us back. So we needed yeah. to change that. So on um, the photographer, then you know, how does the photographer uh, build that equity? And it could be long term by you know getting more people in, and all they need is more local people to be talking about them the same way as they are about number a or letter a um whereas lowering the price you may have to come down a long way in price if people don't know your product exactly. because they don't know what it's worth and so dropping the price may not actually be the best way of doing it uh, just well while i'm on a roll <laughs> who's, who if i was in that situation in a small business i would be Noting down any data I can even create myself. So, you know, and I know, you know, how many customers I got at this price, how many customers I got at that price, and try and work that out. But 
any bits of data that you can put in. If you've got Excel, you can put any different subject. I told you I could bore on this subject. Any, I could too. And, and, and we, you know, yeah, <laughs> keep going. Any different measure that you, that you can get hold of on a time series or, um, and then you can put it into um, Excel to do correlations. And then if you've got yeah. your volume or your, um, your sales, your revenue, whatever you're trying to measure, with the correlation, it'll give you a figure of, well, which one is driving those? And then you know which lever you might be wanting to pull. If you pull the wrong lever and you don't know all these kind of things, you could be spending a lot of money and not getting the result you want back. Um, we, uh, I don't know whether this links, but one of our clients just, just a few weeks ago um, had three different product ranges promoting all of them pretty much the same because that's what retailers want. Mm -hmm. And so we did the crunching and the result that came out was only one of their product ranges was elastic. So mm -hmm. if you drop the price, you'll sell more or sell enough to make more profit, yeah. which is a slight difference. So on the other two, they would drop the price and they would sell a very little bit more, but not enough to warrant the, the cost of reducing the price. So, Again, they'd been, well, either not measuring or, or measuring the wrong thing. They were just, just looking at their total revenue or their, um, or their volumes. The volumes were slightly higher, but their profits were down. So again, understanding what lever you know, does what for your business. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if people completely, um, especially new entrepreneurs, um, because they're very visionary. Um, some of them are really great with it, but I don't know if they completely com sometimes comprehend what you're actually saying, because I'll use old Zig Ziglar in the United States. Zig Ziglar was kind of a preacher salesman, right? You know, he'd get up and he'd get everybody, you know, and he, and, um, you know, so old Zig Ziglar, would say he bought a bicycle, right? And he bought it from a thrift store. It was used and it was because price was the most important thing to him at that moment until he realized that he had to rebuild the bike for more than he, if he had bought it new, right? And he tells that story and it's kind of it's kind of funny because he's talking about the value, the brand brand value is part of what you're saying for credibility in PR. I'm not a PR specialist, but when we're dealing with trying to get a company's revenues going, it's usually the forerunner because it gives value and credibility to the brand, which shortens the sales cycle, customer acquisition cost, all of the things kind of rolled down that direction, right? And, and so when you're looking at all the drivers that you're talking about, is the value portion of that, how they value, you can com sometimes command a higher price, right? And a higher, because we use influencers for the same thing, right? If this is a known persona, whether or not we, that person even lives that value, people will follow that person. And if they say something, they will believe it, right? We see that in, in, um, in movies, we see that, it, like in the celebrity syndrome, we see that in almost all of those things. So it's it's pretty amazing what you're doing. And if we look at the value of the time spent doing that, sometimes people will think, 
well, that's easy. I'll just monitor my own drivers. I will just monitor. I will create this Excel street and I will uh, this Excel sheet and I will start to see the correlations. And then the factor of you were talking about you as being the bottleneck, right? Because of how much time it takes to do that. They, they're not always factoring in how much time, which there is also value to how much that time is, right? There's some, you've got to replace it because time is the only commodity. The only thing you own, right? Is your time, right? And that's one of the things, it, hopefully the only thing you own, right? So at the end of the day, so this has been so much fun because I could, you and I could talk forever on this stuff because I love it. I, but I want to hear a little bit and so do the listeners you know, what do you do in your free time? I talked about skiing. You talked about family somewhat. They want to hear a little bit more about Graham himself and maybe not the music of the numbers and analytics so much at this point. So what do you love doing, Graham? Uh, in addition to the, yeah, I mean, I do like, I like sports in general. Um, I, I was a ski instructor at one point. Wow. I, I, um, I've actually started getting into cooking my family will be a bit surprised by that one but i have <laughs> um usually when they're not there um yeah so i suppose one of my that one of my loves in life is is innovating and inventing and problem solving it depends which words you want to put on it. if you say inventing people just think oh you're a mad professor <laughs> but i over the years i've got about 50 different 55 different things that uh, I've kind of invented, gonna build at some point, yeah, not particularly patented. Um, but I, I love I love looking at a problem, usually a practical problem, and thinking, okay, how can you sort that? Um, so I I won a prize um, a few years back with I think it was Popular Science or something magazine, mm. um, and it was for an oil reclamation system. So when there's been a, an oil leak, um, uh, which there have been a few yeah um, how can you a contain it but b rec reclaim it without using chemicals um and so um yeah I, I won quite a nice prize on that one uh it's never been put into practice yet because i haven't, haven't done anything with it so <laughs> but it's probably a mix of uh of diy and fixing things and um and innovating rather than inventing but uh um so that, that that's probably the next things I'm I'm starting to get really interested in all of the uh, renewable energies and yeah. um, you know, using renewable energy to create hydrogen um, and at the same time you can use electricity to do desalination and that way you could pump clean water to more arid parts of the world and so you know a whole ecosystem is it. Is <laughs> Um, that, that would only take multiple billions to turn on, but uh, yeah, that, that's a that's a small part. Probably somewhere. Um, yeah, but I bet you you could figure out the modeling to sell the fact that it might take multi billions, but how much will it do for the future? I I don't know. It's pretty exciting stuff that you're doing, and um, I know that you're extremely humble. You've already told me that, and I, not you haven't told me that. You're like, don't talk about. I don't talk about myself. You I know, that kind of thing. If I told you that, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you can't be humble if you told me that, right? It's like hmm, maybe we need to practice humility. I don't know. No. Um, so Graham, literally, 
people who are listening, literally before this interview, he was like dying because he's like going, oh, I don't talk about myself. I don't get into, you know, I'll talk about numbers and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he is actually quite humble and it's kind of fun and refreshing to have had this fantastic conversation with Graham. And so most of the people want to know kind of one way we'll list We'll list all the ways that they can get a hold of you on on the on Podbeam and on YouTube and all of that. But what's one way that people could get a hold of you to talk, well, about global economies and everything else, but also maybe for their, you know, uh, their studies for their business to help them get off the ground? LinkedIn's probably the, the easiest way to find me. Um, and other than that, then it's uh, yeah, using my email. It's- Graham G R A E M E um uh, at aim a i m hyphen eu dot com. So so those two will usually get me. And uh, um yeah, if they reference your uh, your um your podcast and webcast, then uh, at least I know where it's come from. <laughs> well, that would be great too. Um, obviously, we love having the listeners. So thank you all for listening to this. Um, we're getting a, gr- we're growing as a podcast. That's super exciting. And it's because of listeners and for those that support this. So if you loved hearing this, love what Graham was saying, um, share some love, like it, share it, um, tell people about it. And I'm so grateful again for all of you for listening and Graham, thank you for being on the show. More than welcome. So there was many stories more I could have. <laughs> I know, I know. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit revenuemaze.com. Hats off to all you small businesses out there. I can't wait for the next episode.